Well, welcome to South Point. My name is Tanner. I'm on staff here. Glad that you have joined us today in person or online. Thanks for tuning in. And if you are brand new to South Point, let me introduce who we are. We want everyone to actually experience God's unconditional love. We believe that that is seen in the person of Jesus, that God himself became flesh, that he made his dwelling among us, that he lived here on planet Earth in this person, Jesus. Uh, so that's why this year, what we are doing is we are teaching through the Gospel of John, which is a biography of Jesus. We're calling this Revealing Jesus. Uh, as we, we look at who he is, the different parts and themes throughout this, uh, throughout this book, and we just actually finished a series called Signs, where we looked at the miracles of Jesus, and we said these miracles are signs because they point to something, they point to a reality even greater than themselves, that's the point to something that's greater than just the, the event that was confined in the first century and that day and time. We looked at who Jesus was through these signs. This series that we're just entering right now is really very similar to that, but a flip side of this. This is not just about John telling us who Jesus is. This series that we are entering right now is called I Am, and we are looking at who Jesus says Jesus is. It's a Jesus on Jesus series. Who do you say you are? We look at this theme throughout the book of John, and there are some powerful statements that I believe change your life and my life. Uh, so what we're going to do right now and today is really an introductory message into this series. We're looking at this, this scene from John chapter 8, the end of John chapter 8, where Jesus is having a discussion with people uh, about who he is. Uh, he, he claims that he is light of the world. There are some people who believe in him, some people who don't believe in him, uh, and this prompts this discussion in John chapter 8. So we'll put John chapter 8, verse 48 to 58 up here on the screen. Now, this, I have to admit, this, is, this opening question in, in this little section of Scripture is one of my favorite questions that people ask Jesus in all of Scripture. Uh, after Jesus declares who he is, after he tells them that their father is the devil, <laughs> the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you're Samaritan and demon-possessed? I mean, like, what, what's Jesus supposed to say to this? He says, I'm not possessed by a demon. <laughs> but did I honor, he says, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And he says this, he says, I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see Death. What a statement. Jesus says, whoever obeys my word, internalizes my word, trusts my word, will never see death. Obviously, this is something that's confusing to this, at, at, to them. At this, they exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Like, who makes a statement like that, Jesus? And then they point to one of the fathers of their religion. Way back in the Old Testament, they point to Abraham. And they said, look, look, Jesus, who do you think you are? Abraham died. And all these prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they all die. All of them die. And yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? They're saying, no, 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 Jesus, surely you are not greater than our father Abraham. He died. So did the prophets. And here's really the question that Jesus is answering through this whole series. Who do you think you are? 
Who do you think you are? Jesus is answering this. And here's, he replies, he has this reply, and then he answers this question at the very end. He says, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. But my Father, whom you claim as your God, he's the one who actually glorifies me. He says, though you do not know him, I know him. And he said, if I did not, if I, if I said I did not, he said, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I obey his word. He says, your father, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. And guess what Jesus says? He saw it. He saw my day, and he was glad. And you have to understand here, sometimes we hear the words Abraham and Moses and Noah, and we, we just think that all, everyone lived at the exact same time in Scripture. This is like 2,000 years before Jesus. Abraham lived like a long, long time before Jesus. This is like you saying, well, I was before Julius Caesar. Like, there, what? And they says, you're not yet 50 years old, Jesus. And you have seen, you've seen Abraham? Okay. He says, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered him. Before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. And then what they do is they pick up stones and they get ready to stone Jesus at this statement. It's a strange statement. It provokes them to pick up stones and want to kill Jesus in that moment. And you say, why? I don't even, you say, I don't even know. That doesn't even make sense because Jesus, your last sentence before Abraham was, I am, I am what? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? And what Jesus is talking about, about himself, he's saying that I am am God. I am God. This is the first point. Jesus is God. This is the foundation for this whole series. When we look at this statement, we look at this I am statement. When Jesus says, I am, he's saying, I am God. And you say, well, what's the connection between these two? Well, it goes back to uh, a previous story in scripture, again, long, long before Jesus in Exodus chapter 3. It's a story that we've talked about here a few different times where where Moses, another famous person, and maybe you've heard this name Moses before, Moses has this conversation with God. Moses is minding his own business. He's working for his father-in-law. He, he sees this bush that's on fire, and the bush does not burn up. He go, comes closer to this bush, and a voice booms from this bush. And Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground right now. And God introduces himself as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the, his father. He says, I, I, am, I am this God. And, and he says, I've seen the people. He says, I've seen my people Israel. They are in slavery in Egypt right now. I've seen them. And I'm going to do, God says, I'm going to do something about it. So by the way, Moses, you need to go. Like I'm doing something, Moses, because I'm sending you. Like, you are me doing something about it. And then Moses is like backpedaling, okay, okay uh, God, like, I, but I can't do that. And God says, yeah, 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 don't worry, I'll be with you. It's like, I'm not good enough. And then he says, okay, well, say I, say I do go. Say I do go, God. And they ask me, who is it that sent me? Who should I tell them? And here's what he answers. Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I ask them this question. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. 
has sent me to you. God is saying, I am. I'm always existent. That is who I am. I am always present. I am. I am. That's my name. And he goes on. You read the rest of that chapter. And he says, this is the name that I shall be known as for generations and generations and generations. To f- I am. When Jesus shows up, what he is saying is, I am God. This God that, that proclaimed to you thousands of years ago, centuries before, Jesus says, this is me. This is who I am. What an audacious and bold statement. He says that. Now, here's what's also interesting about this whole thing, is that when John includes these statements, John is very intentional about the statements, the I am statements that he includes, that Jesus says. We said last series that John includes seven different signs because the number seven means completeness. You know how many I am statements John includes from Jesus? Seven. What John is saying is, Jesus is completely and wholly God. This Jesus that I've spent three years around, this human being right here, he is completely God. And he says things like, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the good shepherd. And John says, let me highlight these things because this is Jesus on Jesus telling us who he is. And as I said last week when I was sharing part of my own story, it is, this, is, this is part of it that I looked at who Jesus was when I was in high school. And I said, if this is true, like, this changes, like, absolutely everything about life. It changes everything. And that's who John says Jesus is. And this scripture that I've been mulling over and mulling over the last, like, month or two months, and I was reading it again this morning, and it's a very similar scripture from Colossians chapter 1. I walk in, Bethany walks into me today, she sees my Bible open, she's like, oh, Colossians again. Yes, Colossians again. This, because this is what, this is, this is, this scripture has everything in it. Colossians chapter 1, the second half of it, he starts here with who Jesus is. Now, get this, think about if this is actually true, what this does for your life. The Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in him... All things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. All things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the one in charge of the church. This is what he's saying He is the head. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy in absolutely everything that he may be elevated to what he's saying. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness, all of his fullness dwell in him and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on the cross. Did you notice this phrase throughout this whole passage where he says, all things? Jesus says, before all things. All things were created by him and for him. All things were created through him. You know what the Greek for all things means? It's like all things. Like everything. It means you and your life. It means your neighborhood. It means the state that we live. It means everything. Everything exists 
because of him. What if that was true? That means everything is about him. Everything is for him. And quite frankly, we live in a day and age where we like to make things about us. This is, this is about us. I was reading a book this past week, and I read a story. He, the author quoted a Groucho Marx skit where he said there's a skit, and Groucho Marx is talking to his friend, and uh, he starts in where he's, he just talks about himself. And he just keeps on going and going and going and going and going. And maybe you've been in a conversation with someone like this. They just keep talking about themselves. And it's almost like this moment of self-awareness happens to Groucho Marx in this, in this state. And he says, okay, I, I, I've been talking about myself a lot. Enough about me. What about you? What do you think of me? <laughs> we like to make everything about us. What if it's not? What if it's not? The Apostle Paul says it's not. Look, it's not. It's not about you. It's not about me. All things, all things are about him. This is the implication of Jesus being God. And the one who is God, the one who has all of that power. You know what he could have done? He could have used that power to shame you, to guilt you. All these things that you've done, these things that I've done, all these ways that we have not said yes to him throughout the years. If you're like me, you can look in the rearview mirror and things, look at all of these either attitudes or actions or behaviors or seasons of life or moments where we have just ignored him. And that God could have demonstrated his power in a certain way, but he demonstrated his power through love. Right after the Apostle Paul talks about who Jesus is, he goes on and says, yeah, all that power that exists, you know what he did with that? He actually reconciled you. Jesus reconciles. Colossians chapter 1, the next verses, verses 21 through 23, say this. See, once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Now let's pause right there. Now you can look at that. And you may be in a church setting right here, maybe watching online, and you can say, you know what, I, I'm, just, I'm not a religious person. I've done all these, all these things, and you can come up with, quite frankly, a lot of excuses why you shouldn't, why you can't. And what he says here is, look, we were all like that. All of us have gone through this. All of us need God's grace. He says one time, he's writing to church people, one time, yes, you were. Everyone in this room, that's the case. At one time, you were alienated from God. You were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Enemies in your minds simply means that Jesus has the supremacy. Jesus has the say. Jesus has the control. Jesus has the claim over your life. And there were moments and seasons of your whole life, whole directions of your life, where you said, Jesus, I don't want you to have the claim. I want the claim. I want to be in charge. I want to have the supremacy. I want the attention. I want it on me. Yes, there were times when you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, but now, he says, reality has changed because he, because you are now reconciled by Christ's physical body through death. <clears throat> Why? Because he wants to present you 
holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in the faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He says, this is the gospel that you heard has been proclaimed to every preacher under Paul, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. I'm a servant of this, he says. And that you and I, we have this opportunity to reconcile to God. <clears throat> we can be one with him. That he, we can be in this relationship with God. He says, come in. Let's be reconciled. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, come. He says, come. Jesus wants it so much that he gave his physical body for you to make this happen. And that's why, that's why things like burgers and baptisms mean so much that we're having here in a few weeks. We do this every year at Scarborough Beach that if you would like to be baptized, that you can say, you can say to the world around you, Jesus, I'm giving you my allegiance. And again, I love this physical representation of the spiritual reality that you're plunged into the water. And it represents two pictures. We see in this picture, we see the person of Jesus, that Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, and then he rose again. He conquered death. And, that, and what you're saying is, I want to be united with that. Jesus, you are Lord, you are Savior, you are King. You conquer all of that. Yes, I'm going to give my, my, my allegiance, myself to you. And you're also then saying, Jesus, look, I live life one way, one whole direction, and I, I don't want that anymore. I want that to be buried and washed away, and I want to be raised up a brand new person in your grace. So if that's, if that's something that you've never done, it's something that you say, well, I, I, I want to follow Jesus. Don't wait. Just do it. Don't wait. There's no reason to wait. what we see in scripture here. We see that Jesus is God and Jesus who uses all of that power not to shame you, not to guilt you, but to seek you out, to reconcile with you. The question is, now what? How does that change your life? How does that change my life? And the answer to that is that now his purpose becomes your purpose. His purpose becomes your purpose. The Apostle Paul in that scripture that I've been mulling over talks about Jesus being God and how he reconciles us and then what he says at the end that we are going to read is that, that he says, now Jesus, I'm yours. Everything, everything that I have, everything I am is yours. Let me read this scripture here from Colossians chapter 1. After Paul talks about how he suffered for the church, how he suffered just to get the word out about Jesus. And now how this has gone beyond the Israelites to the Gentiles. He says, to them God has chosen make, to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And here's the glorious riches of this mystery, he says, is that Christ is in you. You imagine that? You remember how he just described Christ? How, how all things are created through him and by him and for him? And he says, here's the mystery. You have Jesus in you. He says, this is the hope of glory. You can, you can try to have hope and glory and all of these other things in life. No, this 
Reality is the hope of glory. And then he says, talking about Jesus, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Hold it just right there. Just go back just for a second. He is the one we proclaim. And quite frankly, what happens is you go in churches and I listen to sermons and they make it all about all of these other things today. About all of these other things. Why you have Jesus, the glorious riches. Why would you proclaim anything else? It doesn't make any sense to me. He is the one we proclaim. Because when you get him, when you understand and you bow before how great and mighty this God in flesh is and how full of love he is and how powerful that love is and what that does to your life, Paul says, I'm using all of my energy. I'm suffering to get this out because this is the news that absolutely everyone needs to hear. That he is the one we proclaim. And yes, we'll admonish and we'll teach everyone with all wisdom. And the reason that we do this, he says, the reason that we do this is that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's the reason why we do what we do. His purpose now becomes our purpose. And guess what? It takes a whole church family to do this. It takes a whole church family. We want to present everyone mature in Christ. It is a good thing if you are mature in Christ because what happens is you can handle criticism. You can respond with love when you are mature in Christ. You can forgive. You can respond with joy even in difficulty. When you are, when you are mature in Christ, what happens is you take your eyes off of yourself. You start asking how you can be compassionate and generous to one another. You start looking at the community. How can we serve you? How can we love you? You stop making it about yourself. And when you are mature in Christ, you start looking like Jesus, who is completely selfless. And he says, this is why we do what we do. And quite frankly, I believe we have a lot of gifted people here at South Point. And guess what? God is going to continue to bring people here. God is, God's purpose is not thwarted. God wants more and more people in this neighborhood and in this state to come to know him. And guess what? It's going to take an entire church family. It's going to take an entire church family. We have, we're going to have people who come through the doors, kids who come through the doors, who don't know anything about Jesus. And they're going to need your love. We are going to need people to say, yes, I will sacrifice my time. I will step up. I will help them. I will love them. We're going to have teens who are going through, we, if you're older than a teenager, you know that sometimes that's the most difficult season of your whole life. We're going to need people who say, let me look into your life and listen to you and love you and show you Jesus. To college students who are going to come, to our neighborhood, to single parents, to veterans who are in need, but work doesn't stop. But it requires, it, it needs you, you, you stepping up. How can you do it? The church is never built on one person, one family. The reason you're doing this is so that we can present everyone fully mature in Christ. And that's a glorious state. And he continues on. 
Paul talking about himself. And he says, it is to this end that I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. So often we talk about time management. Like, oh, I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do this. Let's be honest. It's not really about time. It's about energy. <laughs> if, you're, if you're older, <laughs> at least as old as you, you know this, it's about mental and emotional and physical energy. Something can take a half an hour of your time, but if, it, if you do so without giving a lot of energy, that's fine. But if it consumes a lot of you, that's a whole other story. Let me put that verse back up there. And he says, he says, I, I contend with all of my energy. When he talks about contending, it's also a Greek word. And you know what, actually, what word comes, what English word comes from this Greek word for contend, strenuously contend? Agonize. That your purpose becomes, that Jesus' purpose becomes your purpose. You so want people to be mature in Christ that you agonize, that you give yourself, you pour out your life because you want nothing more than to this end. And so, quite frankly, we, we devote our energy all these other places now. The Apostle Paul says, no, I want to strenuously contend. This is two Greek words. One of them says, I want to agonize. I want to pour out myself. The other one is the same word that is used in the, in the scriptures that talk about, I want to fight the good fight. Or yes, I fought the good fight. I came to the end. That's what we want to do. If you are a Jesus follower, you want Jesus to say that about you. Yes, you fought the good fight. So my question is, from this point, how will you respond? If Jesus is God, this changes everything about your life, everything about your life. Will you say yes? Will you respond? Will you commit? Will you devote yourself to what? Will you listen to him? You say yes. And the reality of this, the reality is that yes, we can give all of ourselves to him, but we can never outgive him. No matter how much of your life you give, you never outgive him because he's already given his life for you. And this is actually why we celebrate communion each and every week. Is we want to celebrate this fact that Jesus gave his life for us. And even though we do it every week, I know we run the risk of this becoming monotonous and repetition. It feels like it losing significance, but don't let this lose significance. He gave his whole life. The God of the universe gave his life for you. You remembering body broken, bloodshed with this cracker and this juice, and you remember it. And then you celebrate. We celebrate communion because he did not stay dead, that he conquered the last enemy. He, conqu he conquered death. And because of that, we can have eternal life. So I'm going to say a prayer and then what we're going to do after the prayer is just open this up where if you would like to walk and grab communion, grab two cups in these in stations here, bring it back to your seat. You can pray. There's gluten-free communion in the back as well. And then we are going to respond and worship with another song. Uh, Father God, we thank you for your love and for your grace.
We thank you, Jesus, that you are God. We look at you, we see. We see exactly the character. We see the person of God dwelling among us. That you came and you gave your whole life to reconcile us to you. God, if this is true, it does mean that that our whole life changes. It's not about us. May we be people who are not consumed with ourselves, but consumed with you. May we be people who say yes to you, whatever you would have for us. Realizing that sometimes it takes a whole church family to help raise one kid or one student or to show love to one family or to surround people. God, we know that you have created the church. It is your your vision, your dream for community, your dream for showing love. May we be a community here who loves, loves you deeply and seeks to show that love to others that they may experience it, experience you. Jesus, we thank you for giving your life for us and we celebrate your resurrection right now. In your name I pray, amen.